I want to talk about altars this morning. And I believe that it is pertinent. The ground that we're on is holy ground. There are certain things that we're, we're not used to and we're not comfortable with about God. We like to think of him as our good buddy, my best friend, and he is our friend. He's our brother. But I don't know if you understood or if you realize that he sets the terms for how we come to him. We don't set the terms. You don't just come to God because you decide, oh, I just want to go to God. No. Romans 3 is very clear. There is none who seek after him. We were all lost. No one was seeking God according to the word of God. And we were all doomed to an eternity apart from God. Judgment and wrath. A good friend of mine, Dick Leggett, and I had a conversation. We would meet for breakfast. And he shared something with me that I found quite profound. He said, do you realize that one of the best messages in the Bible is repent? That's actually good news. Repent. Because we have a holy God who can't abide anything else less than his own holiness. By virtue of his justice, as a just God, he has to judge us by a standard that is his own standard. You think for a minute, how close do you come to God's standard, his own holiness? And so for God to say, Repent is for him to say, just change your mind, change your behavior, and move forward. And then the thing that you can't do anyway, if we could do it without God, we would have done it. He sends his son who pays the price. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit who empowers us. So he gives us everything that's necessary To come back to a relationship. You don't come because you decide you want to come. When the tabernacle and the temple were built in the Old Testament under the law, there were three requirements to come into a relationship with God. Apart from those three relationships, you could not relate to him. And so hardly anyone did. There were three. One was the temple. One was the sacrifice. One was the priest. The temple, why? Because that's where, guess what was in the temple? The altar. The altar was there. And the presence of God. You couldn't get to the presence of God without coming past the altar. Why? Because God is a holy God. And so something had to be done about 
your sin and mine. Three requirements. The temple, where the altar and the presence were. The sacrifice. And the priest. Once a year, once a year, and only once a year, the priest who was the high priest was able to actually go into the presence of God. But before he did, he had to make atonement for his own sin. The high priest in his garments wore bells. Do you know what the bells were for? As long as you heard the bells, you knew this guy's alive. Why? Because God had to receive the offering for the sin in order for him to step into the presence of God. If you heard, he had, well, not only did he had bells, he had a long sash. If you no longer heard the bells, you pull the sash. Because no one can stand in the presence of God apart from that atonement. That's how serious this thing is. You don't just come because you want to come. Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, we can talk about all kinds of doctrinal issues regarding that, and I, I don't care. We can get into controversies all you want about that. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, you didn't chose, choose me, I chose you. The fact that we are here today means God did something in our lives. Every one of you is here if you're in a relationship with Jesus because God said, I want Chuck. And at some point, Chuck, who probably had, Chuck and I have had breakfast, so I know about some of his BC stuff. <laughs> and he would still be there today if it weren't for the fact that God said, I want this one. So he gives him a revelation Oh, Jesus is Lord, He's Savior. He responds, God hadn't shown you that? Guess what? You'd still be back in the other stuff. Temple, sacrifice, priest. Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up again. Three days. He wasn't talking about a building, folks. You know what he's talking about? Himself. Destroy this body, you kill it, I'll raise it up again in three days. He satisfied that. What else did he satisfy? He's a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Unblemished lamb. He became the sacrifice, did he not? Second of the requirements was fulfilled. And we have a priest who can bring the sacrifice to the Father. Who is that? Jesus. 
after the order of Melchizedek, he fulfilled all three of the requirements so that we could have the relationship, David. Dan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. But he fulfilled all three of those. But that's not the amazing thing. Listen to this. Not only did he fulfill that, but in him, we fulfill that. What is your body? Temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. What are you to present your body as in Romans 1? Romans 12, I'm sorry. Living sacrifice. You're the sacrifice. And what are we called to be? Priests. A royal priesthood. We fulfill all of the requirements for the relationship so that we can come into that place, that holy place of intimacy. I said we were too much American and too little biblical. There are some words we need to learn in a season where this is being renewed. Get these in your vocabulary. Understand them. Study them. Meditate on them. Pray into them. Covenant. Westerners don't understand or know covenant. We know marriage, but we don't know covenant in the fuller sense of that. You better understand that because you're called to a covenant. One of those words, it's the one that we're focusing on, altars. One of the requirements fulfilled because it represents the place of our encounter with God. It's not just a physical structure. I used to have a little... Uh, when I lived in my parents' house, I had a tree stump that was probably 18 inches wide and maybe another 24 inches tall. I kept a, I kept a, um, uh, 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 a little lantern on it with some scented oil, and I would burn that. And this was my early days. I was a brand-new baby Christian at the time. I used to think of that as my altar. Some of you had something like that. But I'm not talking about that so much. What it represents is fine, but I'm talking about something that's far broader than that. I'm talking about a mindset, a position, and a posture, and a relational transaction that takes place at any time, in any place, before you or between you and God. Altars are not just for saying prayers. An altar is that place of sacrifice and communion with God such that he shows up. 
I led worship for 10 years. A lot of people don't know that. 10 years. I'm not a great musician at all. Matter of fact, I'm probably on the low end of that uh, talent spectrum. And I asked the Lord once, I said, why am I doing this? I led a, a, a music ministry in our church at one point that had 85 musicians, many of them professional musicians who played in orchestras. And it was me and my little guitar that would plunk away on this thing. And I said, Lord, why is it that I do this? I'm not a great musician, instrumentalist. He said, I'm not interested in you being an instrumentalist. I want you to learn to worship. Because the mistake that I made was that this is about the music. Well, it ain't about the music. As a matter of fact, the more it becomes about the music, the further you get from what God wants you to be. Because after a while, all you're doing is just singing songs. And you can have the greatest voice or you can sound like a frog. It doesn't matter. God's not going to accept your singing song because he's the one that sets the requirements for coming into his presence. LaWanda and I have a conversation that we, I'm so far off my notes, but that's all right. God will get us there. We have a conversation a lot because we, uh, a lot in our home all the time on YouTube, we've got elevation and upper room and all of the things that are going on. And at times LaWanda says, you just don't like to worship. I said, I love to worship. I did that. I led the worship for, for, for all of those years. But the thing that I realized is in this time now, at this season, this is an MTV generation. And this is what I mean by that. We're so used to the music coming over the screen. In essence, it's really easy to make this transi transition. All we'll do, we'll put biblical clothes and Christian stuff on there. And here we go. And it now just simply becomes about Guess what? The music. I'm not trying to be critical at all because I do appreciate the fact that God has used that technology and there are those who really are anointed. But it's not about the music and the worship. Jesus says that the Father is looking for worshipers who do what? Worship in spirit and in... Don't sing the song... If it ain't in your life, don't sing the song if all you're doing is getting an emotional release. I know pastors who will say on Sunday, we just had a great service. We had so many people crying. It's cathartic. I get an emotional release. That was a good service? No. No. One of the men who mentored us, some of us, is a brother from Uganda. I've mentioned him before, John Melinda. He talked about seven essentials. I'm not going to get into all of those, but one of them he talked about was worship. And you know what he said? Worship until you encounter God. 
You're not after an emotional release. You are encountering God. And how do you know when you've encountered God? Because God does something. It's at the altar that the transactions take place. Why? What was it about the altar? That word altar actually means a place of sacrifice. I found one definition that I found very interesting. It was, the, it was a place of slaughter. And do you understand what was going on at the altar? It was a place of, it was a place of death. Why? Because that was the place that the justice of God was satisfied. Jesus fulfilled it. You and I fulfill it. And so here are the terms now. Here are the terms concerning spirit and in truth. Present your bodies, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Abraham, give me your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac. So Abraham wakes up early in the morning. The next morning, he gets Isaac and two servants, and then he gets his instruments ready. Those ain't his instruments. Do you know what his instruments were? The wood, the knife, and the fire. Because there's a sacrifice that needed to be made. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't turn on YouTube or pull out your instrument. Present yourself to God in such a way that said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. Do you know what Paul calls that in Romans 12? Uh, in Romans 12? Your acceptable worship. That's acceptable. Get yourself disciplined to think regarding even the songs that you sing. Those are secondary. If you're going to sing about uh, 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 presenting myself, then present yourself that way. If you're going to sing about ruling and reigning, Christ ruling in your life, then yield yourself to his reign and his rule, however it comes and whatever it costs. Too many of us as Americans like to make our own choices. We are not used to a king who says, this is what you do. Do you realize that a king doesn't ask questions or issue invitations? He says, this is what you do. And guess what? You do it. You do it. 
it wouldn't be unlike a king, the king, to say, Johnny, so-and-so's coming in town today. I want you to go and pick them up. But what about my work? He, he, I understand your work. I want you to go do it. How do you know that Jesus is king? When you go and do it. Everybody talks about wanting to be a servant until somebody starts to treat you like one. He doesn't issue invitations. He issues commands. So if I'm going to worship him as king, I need to present myself to him that way. You are my king. So when I come to that point and say, Lord, this is our appointed time. And by the way, by the way, let me tell you something. I was going to talk to you all this morning about Abraham. I have to give you the, the Cliff Notes version of that. Abraham built four altars in four different places. It wasn't one place. Where the altar is, is in some respects not an issue because God's the one that can choose where the altar is. As a matter of fact, the very first of the altars was in a place called Shechem. There were two others. When you read uh, Abraham's story, there was Ur and Haran, or Haran, however it pronounced it. Both places were in Mesopotamia, but Shechem was in that place that God said to Moses, go to a place that I'll show you. It was inside of Canaan. God chose the place. The second altar that he built was between Bethel. We know about Bethel. You know what Bethel means? House of God. It wasn't actually at Bethel, but it was between Bethel and a little place that had a funny name, Ai. Anybody know what Ai means? It means heap, a heap, a heap of ruin, ruins, a heap of a mess. It's a pile of stuff. And so where was the altar? The altar was between the house of God and all of this heap. Significance to that. Guess where we stand? Well, let me, let me give you a, 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 a greater understanding of AI. Your flesh and my flesh is a heap of a mess. Okay? The world is a mess. Your flesh and the world are two examples of a heap, a heap of ruins. And so where's the altar? Between the house of God and this mess that's my flesh and also the world. Why is that important? Because at the altar, I got two sets of issues to deal with. The holiness of God and this mess, that's the world. Or my own flesh. 
And so you know what I do in my altar? Crying out to God, petitioning, entreating, interceding. Because I'm between these things. And you know what the Lord does? He shows up there. He, he showed up with Abraham. As Abraham sojourned, he went from Shechem, I wish I could unpack it, but I can't, to Ai or to Bethel and Ai, but he didn't stay there. And this is where it hits you and me with these altars. He didn't stay there. He kept going south to the Negev, which means south country, and he went all the way to Egypt. Do you know what he encountered and why he ended up there? There was a famine. Because in that place, he ran into trouble. There's this famine, which is the judgment of God. There's the house of God, the judgment. And there he was in the middle of that. So he did a really stupid thing. He left his altar and he went south and he went to Egypt. And then things got worse because he lied about his wife. And Pharaoh took her into his own house. It was at that point, and I heard someone refer to it this morning. It was at that point when he lied and conspired with, with Sarah, or Sarai at that point. He's no longer operating under the direction or the wisdom of God. He's on his own devices at that point. When he left his altar, he was on his own best that he could do. And had it not been for the fact that the Lord intervened and warned Pharaoh, who evicted Abraham, or Abram, told him, get your stuff and get out. You know, it's one thing when believers correct you, when the world rebukes you, that's pretty bad. But that's exactly what he did. So guess what Abram did? He went back to, guess where he went back to? back to his altar, to the place that he had encountered God. Your altar pretty much needs to be a daily rhythm. We talked about rhythms at the end of last year. You need to have an altar. You need to have an assigned time and place every day where you're not just praying. You're that place transacting and communing with God. It is the place of your encounter every day. And I guarantee you that the days that you don't do it, you're on your own working with your own devices. May not catch up with you right away, but eventually it will. Eventually it will. The other thing that he encountered in that place with, with, with uh, 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 at Bethel and Ai was a bad relationship. Well, it wasn't a bad relationship with him, but it was his kinsmen and, and Lot's kinsmen. They got into arguments over their livestock because the land couldn't contain all of them. So guess what happens? All of the strife rides up. You, you know churches, people, who have difficulties in their relationships, part of the ruins stuff that's there. But Abram learned after Egypt. Lot, I tell you what. Now remember, God had promised Abram all of the land. I tell you what, Lot. You pick 
one way, and if you say you go one way, I'll take the other. He gave him the choice. Guess what Lot did? Lot picked the best portion of land. But Abraham at that point understood it's not by my devices and manipulations. I was a great manipulator, folks. If I get in trouble, Luanda will tell you, she cried many tears over my trying to figure things out and work things out, and it just created more problems for us. Abram learned after Egypt, you choose, and if you go this way, I'll go this way. Do you know what God did? It's not so much what you're doing. It's what God is doing when you're transacting with him. Here's what God said to Abram after he gave Lot the choice in terms of the portion of land. Abram, look north and south and east and west. And as far as you can see, I'm giving that to you. Didn't matter that somehow Lot got this portion that was this great portion. By the way, Lot didn't keep it. But God made sure that Abram did. That all happens at the altar. Because God gives you direction. God also forgives you. Remember, there was Egypt that was back there. Moses, or Abraham blew it with Pharaoh, but God was very, very gracious and merciful. He forgave him. He moved on to a third place. Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. In every one of the places where there's an altar, he called on the name of the Lord. Petitions, entreaties, intercession. But at Hebron, there's now peace. In Hebron, there's communion. There's fellowship between him and God. You want communion. When you begin to, at your altar, fellowship with God around those things that he has specifically called and promised to you, guess what he does? He meets you. He gives you input. He encourages you. You begin to fellowship around the very things that are turning your crank. Why? Because it's what God has called you to. The very last of those, I can't spend any more time on this, but the last one is probably the most important. It's the one that we all understand. There was another altar that he built. Give me your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac. And so he went there the very next morning with his instruments, wood, knife, fire. As far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was already dead. Wasn't just going to kill him because that wasn't the kind of offering. This was a burnt offering. So he was going to kill him and then burn his body and all that would have been left were the ashes. But those other tests had taught him something. I'm going to kill him. God, you promised him you're going to raise him up. Where there's a death, remember I said that the altar represents death and pain. For every Christian, the good news for us is where there's death, there is also resurrection. Doesn't matter if the whole thing goes away. 
Another one of those rewords, by the way. With your mistakes, redemption. It doesn't matter. He raised up Moses, or Abraham's greatest, most difficult challenge became his greatest triumph. Why? Because he satisfied God. There were no other tests after that. What happens at your altar will determine your direction. Get that into your thinking, into your vocabulary. And I pray, I pray that today and tomorrow, that word will trouble you until you respond to it. I like the way Pastor Michelle puts this. This needs to be in your DNA. Establish an altar. Time. A place that you regularly interact and encounter God. Anybody who knows me knows that my altar for such a long time was my front porch. You've heard me talk about my front porch. It's where my altar was. 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord would wake me up and there I would be on my front porch. No lights on, so I'd have to use the light from my phone. But that would be where we are. That has changed now. Lawanda and I have an altar in our home each morning at 4.30. And I can't even begin to tell you the amazing things that transact when we encounter God. This isn't, folks, just about us knowing about him. He's inviting us into a place of intimacy with a holy God. Dan's invitation, did I get it right this time, Dan? Understand, that's a word from God. To him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. You're accountable for what you have heard. May the fear of God come on each of us. That we are accountable for what we have heard. God's inviting us to establish an altar. Where we say, Lord, you set the terms, whatever you want, whether I like it or I don't like it, doesn't matter. I belong to you. You are my master. I said a few weeks ago, I am a slave. So are you. You have a master. So do I. And what he says, whatever he says, will do. My life's not my own. I live for one reason only. The purposes of God. As a prophetic act, we need to get used to those. That, again, is language. Then. 
Boy, it just makes some people's skin crawl, and I love that. But we just need to get used to that. Prophetic things, because we're called to be prophetic people. Get used to prophetic acts. There are six altars here. God's invitation is come to the altar. The king, if I can put it that way, is saying come to the altar. Now, however you transact with God there is between you and him. Just take a moment and say, Lord, do I need to repent of something? Do I need to hear something? Do I just need to give you thanks and praise for something? But this morning, the king is saying, come to the altar. And so, we're going to allow for a response to that. Let that be a prophetic response on your behalf. Come to the altar. Like I said, I can't tell you how to respond. You don't have to linger long there. Just come. If you need to confess and repent, do that. say, Lord, I don't know why I'm here except you said come and so I've come. Then do that. The Father seeks those who would worship in spirit and in truth.